Welcome to season 12 of Digital Learning Radio. I'm Catherine, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Laura. Hello. In this season of the podcast, we're continuing the conversations of sharing what is inspiring us on our ongoing story of learning. This week, it's Laura's turn to share what has been inspiring her, and I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. Woo! And I am excited to share too. First though, I'd love to circle back to last week's episode and check in with you. So you kicked off our new season beautifully by sharing the four tendencies with us. And I certainly found myself thinking about my own tendency and those of others, whether they know it or not. (laughs) And I know for you, your now what surrounding this was thinking about continuing to use the knowledge of these tendencies to further hone facilitating or working in teams, as well as maybe specifically appealing to each tendency in your own follow-up emails that you send. So just to check in, did you have any opportunity to put any of this into practice? Well, first of all, I realized how effective the now what check-in practice is for those of us who are obligers. Ah, so. hmm, of course. <laughs> you and the podcast structure are keeping me accountable, Laura. So Hooray. I, pre- I appreciate that. And then as I re-listened to last week's episode, I also kind of wondered about our call to action invitation that we pose to listeners. We say, we invite you to think about something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that is best suited to upholders Mm. um, or maybe rebels because we don't have any kind of accountability. We're Mm -hmm. not really sharing why. So maybe we need to work on that language a little bit. Oh yeah. Good thinking. (laughs) But to answer the question for professional purposes, I haven't had an opportunity to craft any tendency friendly emails yet. However, after last week's recording, I realized that a review of these tendencies is exactly what I needed to help with my own habits. So my now what should have been focused on using this information personally. Mm. Um, Soon after our episode, I scheduled a personal day for appointments and whatnot. And as a textbook obliger, I found myself drawn to handling outside obligations first, rather Mm. than those inside obligations. I set this time aside to do some things for myself, but it took a lot of mental effort to step away from those outside expectations and do the things on my own to-do list and focus on what I wanted to do for myself. So I can see also how that obliger tendency can again lead me to obliger rebellion and burnout because I keep doing my work things and not focusing on myself. I'm so glad that we had the conversation because it could help me interpret and reflect on what I was doing and then change my behaviors. I just kept thinking, I've got to share something with Laura. Yes. Yes. Let me go ahead and do a little bit of fun shopping on my personal day rather than get back into my work email or you know, yeah. something like that. 
Uh, well, I really love that you are always introspective and maybe it is because you're an obliger and thinking Laura's going to ask, what did I do? So <laughs> I need to do the thing, but either way, uh, I love that you are always so good about being aware of yourself and your habits and your tendencies, particularly thinking about the loom of burnout and taking that time for yourself. And so that is something that I admire about you. Well, thank you. And I will continue to use you as my accountability partner, whether you know it or not. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, one more thing from me. So after we recorded last week, I spent some time exploring the hub of resources on Gretchen Rubin's site. And I really enjoyed a post that she wrote that classified characters from various TV shows and books into the four tendencies. Mm. And I would like to share that I was overjoyed and maybe not surprised to see Arya Stark from Game of Thrones <laughs> also having those rebel tendencies. And that made me feel very cool to align with her, at least according to Gretchen <laughs> Rubin. So I will make sure that we include that link in the show notes because it was a, a really fun read. Well, I know Gretchen is a fan of Game of Thrones, so um, no surprise that she had those characters classified. And so funny because in Gretchen's episode this week, she put a call out for more of these observations on TV or in books or things that you find in the real world. And if you find another one, Laura, then she's got a hashtag tendency spotting. So you can add more examples when you see that. Uh, love it. Love it. Fantastic. Okay. Before I jump in to share my inspiration this week, I would love to hear from you too. So Catherine, what do you have for us to share as a quick win for learning and inspiration? I have never even attempted to be an inbox zero person. Mm. My mom, on the other hand, has like 3000 unread messages in her inbox. I can't handle that. No, so. thank you. <laughs> no, but this summer I had an opportunity to work on a conference planning team, shout out EdChange Global. Mm. Um, and one of my favorite educators, Dr. Desiree Alexander was one of the co-leads and she is very strict about email management. And thanks to Desiree, I'm a believer now too. Mm. For our event, we had a shared Google account and she taught all of the committee members exactly how she wanted the inbox to be. And so I followed her lead and learned from her. And Desiree creates these weekly five minute videos and she has one about creating filters in Gmail. I followed her instructions and now my Gmail account is looking good. I think that I need to go back to another piece of Gretchen Rubin's work. She has a book called Outer Order, Inner Calm. Mm. And she says that clearing clutter contributes to inner calm. And so for digital clutter, that had the same feeling. So now my Gmail account is cleaned up. I've got folders, I've got filters, and it just really does make me feel so much better. So thank you, Dr. Desiree, for showing me the way with inbox clearing and with Gmail filters. Oh, that sounds super interesting and something that I would love to look into as well. 
This makes me think about some of our conversations on the podcast in recent seasons, thinking about the book, The Minimalist Teacher, Mm -hmm. thinking about that, that clutter, and then also thinking about conversations that I know we have both had with instructional leaders thinking about setting an email routine. Mm -hmm, And so I'm mm -hmm. hearing more and more from coaches and instructional leaders and colleagues of just the email management is kind of a nightmare. And so I think we could all benefit from some tips to keep that. I really like the phrase outer order, inner calm. So nice. I will have to check out those links and explore as well. Nice. Nice. Okay. Good share. Mm -hmm. All right. So just as a reminder, we're using a reflective protocol to guide our conversation for each episode's deep dive of learning. We're going to consider the what, so what, and now what, as we share. So, all right, Laura, it is your turn. Let's get it started and start with the, what, what is inspiring you to learn this week? Let's do it. And to follow your four tendencies last week, I'm also sharing a numbered topic, which is the seven essential coaching questions from Michael Bungay Stanier's 2016 book, The Coaching Habit. Okay. So let's pull up the timer and in 60 seconds or less, give us the gist. Tell us about the seven essential coaching questions. Okay, so even though we learned last week that I exhibit rebel tendencies and will likely just talk over this 60-second timer, I'm going to try to play the game <laughs> and actually use my 60 seconds. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I'm going to start the timer and try it out. So let's do it. Okay, these questions come from the 2016 book, The Coaching Habit. And they serve to help harness your desire to jump into a conversation with solutions or advice and take a step back to truly listen and engage in reciprocal dialogue as partners. So I'll go ahead and share the seven questions now, and then we can dig a bit deeper into them in a bit. So the first question is, what's on your mind, followed by number two, and what else? Three, what's the real challenge here for you? Four, what do you want? Five, how can I help? Six, what are you saying no to? And seven, what's most useful to you? I really like the simplicity and usability of these questions, especially to have in your back pocket as a coach, mentor, colleague, or conversation partner striving to fully listen. And upon further reflection, I'm still talking over the timer. I said I wouldn't, (laughs) but I'm doing it. Upon further reflection, uh, I think a few of these questions might be more impactful than I first realized. So I'm excited to share some deeper thoughts in a moment. Timer fail, but that's okay. (laughs) Rebel Laura. (laughs) I'm not an obliger. It doesn't matter. Okay. So Laura, I am very excited to hear more about these questions and I am really excited to learn more from you today. So let's dive a little deeper and tell us the answer. So what about the seven coaching question that is inspiring you to learn? First, 
I do have to share the disclaimer that I have not read the book, The Coaching Habit. However, I had one of those serendipitous experiences a few weeks ago in which I learned about a thing and then I saw it referenced everywhere. Mm. And that's really what happened with me and these seven questions, which really prompted me to explore more. So right now I'm doing a lot of partnering and supporting with instructional coaches. And I think I simultaneously saw Michael's questions referenced in a Jim Knight book I'm reading. I heard about them on a coaching podcast podcast I stumbled upon and then saw them referenced on a coaching blog post or two, I decided I needed to know more. And then I just kind of got sucked into diving deeper and learning more from there. So I read a bit more. I listened to a few more podcasts that Michael was on. I discovered that he and Jim Knight are buddies. And so I listened to a podcast they did together. And here we are. I love this learning lineage. Mm-hmm. And I will say I've never heard of this until last Saturday. It was mentioned at our coffee EDU. So oh yeah, nice. So shout out to our friend Jen Wood, who was raving about several of his books. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So keep going. And I think this time, instead of maybe a a step of learning, it's really kind of like a cyclone of just going kind Um, of deeper and cyclical. And so I'm glad to know you are part of the the universe of learning about this and hearing. So mm -hmm. to answer your question, though, I'm inspired because the more that I've looked at these seven questions, the more I think they're great to use not only in a coaching cycle conversation, but also really to practice better listening. Mm. And to balance listening and speaking, which as a pretty verbose lady is something that I always need to be reminded of. I've also shared these questions with a few groups of instructional coaches over the past few weeks. And so I'll bring some of their reactions and insights to our conversation as well. Ooh, okay. So I'm really excited. Do you want to go ahead and talk a little bit more about a few of those seven questions? I do, but first I really want to make sure that I've set up the groundwork here. So just to kind of reiterate, the thinking behind these questions is remembering or accepting that our own advice is not as good as we think. And side note, Michael also wrote a book that's pretty popular called The Advice Trap. And so when we engage in a coaching conversation or serve as a thought partner for a teacher or a colleague, we really want to pause our inclination to jump in with solutions or share similar experiences that we've had and instead ask a few or all of these questions to really have that other person do the thinking so that you can engage in this partnered dialogue. And Jim Knight sets this up really well in his latest book, The Definitive Guide to Instructional Coaching. And this is where I originally stumbled across Michael's work and questions to begin with. So Jim Knight reminds us that we should never ask a question to get the answer you have already chosen, Mm. which I think is a powerful statement and one to really think about as we consider what a partnership conversation Mm. looks and sounds like. He takes that a step further by saying, to ensure that teachers do a lot of thinking, coaches need to resist the temptation to give advice. When coaches take a top-down approach telling teachers what to do, they create dependency and rob teachers of the chance to think for themselves. 
Now, some of the wording in that statement is pretty bold, Mm. but I also think helpful to have in mind as we look more closely at using these questions. Mm, I think Mm. I'm feeling a little bit um, seen here, like guilty Mm, about called out. Mm -hmm, Yes, a little mm -hmm. bit, a little called out, but that's okay. That's how we're going to grow. So uh, keep talking, Laura. Let's hear more about one of those questions. Sure. Well, I also feel called out because I have a lot of advice, and the reminder that it's not as helpful as I think it is is a humbling (laughs) but good one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what I like about this is like, okay, I feel called out. Here are seven questions that I can play around with to tweak tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with the very first question, which is what's on your mind? Now, that doesn't sound particularly earth shattering. Mm -hmm. However, it really does set the tone of the conversation right away. Mm -hmm. And so I read more about this in a new to coaching blog post by Allison Peterson that I will be sure to link in the show notes that really made me think about shifting my own language from starting a conversation or just running into someone by asking, hey, how can I help to instead shift to that question, what's on your mind? because I always want to be helpful or if somebody is like, Hey, Laura, uh, I've got a question and me saying, yeah, sure. How can I help? That really puts the focus on me. And so instead asking, okay, what's on your mind that decenters me as the solution bringer mm. really puts the ball in that other person's court and establishes that supportive partnership piece. Okay. So this is going to be your first cross stitch pillow for the season. Oh my goodness. Okay. My head is already spinning, but what a powerful tweak. Wow. Laura, I, I think this is amazing. Yeah. Well, and again, I like it because I'm like, okay, language shift done. Like we, Mm -hmm. I can do it Mm -hmm. immediately. So Mm Instead of saying, how can I help? What's on your mind? And then bringing in the minds of some of the coaches that uh, we have gone through this and kind of practice these questions to see how they feel. They brought up a really good point in asking what's on your mind. It really kind of helps establish the purpose of the conversation because as a coach or an instructional leader, you often have people coming to you for a variety of reasons, and this can kind of help get that named and on track. So you can find out by saying what's on your mind. Is this a question that needs to be answered? Is this a venting Mm -hmm. session? Is this a thinking session or are we looking for a solution? And so uh, I liked their point that, oh yeah, this is kind of a clarifying question Mm -hmm. to set the tone for the rest of the convo. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is fantastic. Love it. Uh, a little bit more about this just one simple question. Mm-hmm, it can mm-hmm. also be tweaked for greater specificity or to really kind of focus or hone the context of a conversation. Sometimes uh, just asking what's on your mind is a, a big open box and we have, you know, time constraints. And so just focusing it a little bit further by asking, you know, what's on your mind with your students or your classroom or Mm -hmm. this goal we're working toward or tech integration uh, is a good way to kind of hone that. Mm -hmm. And then one other thing to think about is asking a big open question of what's on your mind is one of those nice kind of check-ins that acknowledges we're people and we have lives and things that are happening outside of that workspace. So that could also be reframed to what's important right now. Mm -hmm. Um, 
sometimes, particularly I'm thinking as life as a campus instructional coach, I have a plan. I'm ready to go. Uh, this is when I want to do this coaching conversation, but people are people and things are happening outside mm -hmm. of this planned coaching conversation. So really thinking about acknowledging that check-in and just asking, okay, what's important right now is another kind of shift in my mind and something that I've been thinking about. Mm -hmm. Right now, I am just considering possible responses to that question. Mm -hmm. And if I was coaching an educator who they're dealing with sick family members or something like that. If you start off with what's on your mm -hmm. mind and you're like, I am so worried about this, then mm -hmm. I can say, well, let's shift away from coaching about technology integration. We need mm -hmm. to see what's in place. Do we need to get a sub? Do we need to work on lessons or whatever? So, right. Oh, that is so beautiful. Right? I, I know. And such a great, easy tweak. Like you said, this could happen in the next hour yeah, of a conversation. Sure. Yeah. So I'm having a thought that I hadn't previously considered, but I know that we have had conversations before just thinking about those hallway conversations and not, not necessarily coaching focused or thought partner, but just kind of those small talk conversations, trying to get away from how are you right. and maybe forcing people to say, I'm good when in reality, like, right. no, it's, uh, it's wild right now. And so, mm. uh, I think I could use this just as like, Hey, what's on your mind instead of that default how are you? I am good. Okay. Goodbye. Uh, mm -hmm. kind of like robotic conversation we, uh, for whatever reason do. So, Hmm. Okay. Yes. And what about even adding this to our check-in on a webinar? So like oh, yeah. what, what's on your mind right now, and then have the chat fill up and that would give you some input, like worried about the upcoming pep rally and managing, you know, yeah. 2000 kids, or I am excited about the three-day weekend or whatever mm -hmm, it happens to mm -hmm. be. So lots of possibilities besides a coaching conversation, I yeah. think. Awesome. Ooh, love it. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear. Is there another one that you want to talk about? Okay, there is, I want to talk about a question that is kind of one of the weirder ones, in my opinion, but also one of the most powerful. And so that's question number six, and it is, what are you saying no to? So mm -hmm. another way of phrasing this one could be, if you're saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? I really like this question because it keeps kind of balance, maybe the reality of time, limited headspace, and really just kind of overall well-being centered and at the forefront of the conversation. Uh, and again, Allison Peterson talks more about this in her blog post about the power and the importance of this question and how particularly coming back from COVID, teachers were just burdened and overwhelmed with too many things. And this question kind of gives permission to let something go. And instead of spinning yet another plate of things in the air, really thinking about how do we balance the plates that we have. Mm. Okay. As an obliger, I'm really liking this question mm. as yeah. well and thinking about boundaries and burnout. And mm -hmm. I can so see like Allison wrote about what's happening after the mm -hmm. pandemic times and okay. Whew, mm -hmm. 
Keep going. Yeah. Okay. So this question is really kind of strategic in nature. And again, it just serves to empower that other person to say no, or really mm-hmm. consider top priorities, goals, and habits. And mm-hmm. so a couple of other iterations of that question could sound like, okay, what boundaries do you need to set to make this change? Or what can you remove so you can make room for this? Uh, and even, okay, let's recap here. What are you committing to do next? And I just really think that this is one of the most powerful questions that fully mm-hmm. supports that idea of partnership because For me, it just makes that other person feel seen. It acknowledges the reality that we really can't keep adding Mm -hmm. things on our plates indefinitely. Uh, You know, that's one of the reasons that we've entered this kind of pervasive culture of burnout to begin with. And again, empowers and even expects that other person to say no to something else. Mm-hmm. You've got Catherine has this like reflective thinking face going on. So I'm going to just keep adding okay, to okay, that. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So when we were practicing this with some of the coaches, everyone came up with a problem or a roadblock that they're facing, partnered off. And one person was the person who was trying to solve this problem. And the other was the coach who was leaning into not solving the problem, but really going through this question. And so Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is one of the weirder questions uh, and a number of coaches said, you know, uh, I, I don't know that this really matches the flow and it kind of depends on the type of problem or, you know, just the, the conversation that's happening. But they did say um, a number of them were considering lifting that language to use themselves. Maybe if an administrator asked lots of things of coaches uh, that often pull them from their instructional support or coaching goals. And so uh, a lot of the coaches felt empowered to use that language to say, absolutely, I'm happy to do this. However, I'm going to need to take X off of my plate Mm, to ensure mm -hmm. that this happens. Um, Not in like a sassy way, but really just to say, hey, I I can only do these things. This is a goal that I have. I won't be able to be working on this if I do this. Is this okay with you, admin? And so um, someone actually shared that this is a practice that they started this year. And um, really, it just kind of made that other person aware like, oh, yeah, I didn't even realize you Mm -hmm. were working on X today. Mm -hmm. Sure, let me find somebody else to proctor this test or, or whatever. And so so that it's empowering language that we can use to advocate for ourselves, which I am always a fan of. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So that example reminds me of someone I need to share exactly your words mm. with right now. What's really resonating is acknowledging that other people have so much going on mm-hmm. and giving that permission to say, what are you saying no to? I realize that you've got so much on your plate, mm-hmm. so many good opportunities, I think here, Laura. Absolutely. And then on the flip side, I was just thinking, you know, you often serve as a thought partner for me and ask good questions and often do not jump in with your own solutions and kind of help me get to that point. I'm somebody who is always a yes and like, ooh, I can do this and then I can make it better and then I can do this. And so I think uh, it can also work to kind of rein me in Mm. to give me that, okay, these are great ideas, Laura. What boundaries do you need to set to make sure you can do them? Or if you choose to do this, uh, what are you going to give up to mm-hmm. ensure that you are not burning yourself out or working really late into the night? And so uh, I can see it being beneficial in in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, great, great reflections. Okay, so my question then, are these written as a protocol where you ask the questions in a particular order or do you kind of pick and choose and tweak whatever is fitting the natural flow of the conversation? Okay, this is a great question. And I will remind everyone that I have the rebel tendency. So if I see a <laughs> protocol, I'm like, mm, I'm going to do whatever I want to. So I'm going to answer the right way and then another way. So, so mm -hmm. in the book, The Coaching Habit and all of the conversations uh, with Michael, the creator of the questions, they really are set to be a conversation guide and flow. So ideally, you could get through all seven of the questions and you are really in encouraged as the questioner to not jump in and really let that other person maybe sit within uncomfortable silence and really think about, okay, what is important to me and where do I need help and what mm -hmm. will I give up to make this happen? He also, even though the word coach is in the title, a lot of his work is with business executives and leaders in the realm outside of education. And so uh, a lot of this was designed for managers to really mm -hmm. coach up their people. So yes, and uh, <laughs> a lot of the iterations and even conversation, you know, that I listened to with him talking with Jim Knight is making it work for you. So mm -hmm. you could use it as a protocol, as a timeout for transparency. When I had the coaches practice this, I encouraged them to use it as a protocol, stick to these seven, see what happens and debrief from there. And so I think a lot of people, myself included, sometimes when I follow a, a pre-written series of questions, the conversation feels unnatural or, or too scripted. And so looking at some of those or coming up with some alternate phrases that sound more natural to your voice is something that a lot of people have done or really just choosing one or two that these are the questions I want to be sure to have in upcoming conversations that I have with people to really just use the ones that work for you. So yes, but also do what you want to. <laughs> Well, I think that maybe this is on my mind. We were in a meeting with our North Texas ITS friends a couple mm -hmm. of weeks ago, and we had that conversation about how sometimes the protocols can feel a little inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And if you are sticking with this script, so I might be a rebel too in nice. make, making these questions just really fit my personality and also thinking about the flow. But the thing that I really appreciate is just having those as a sticky note next to mm -hmm. me or in the back of my mind, because sometimes those conversations are more challenging. Mm -hmm. If you're giving hard feedback or asking hard questions, what a great resource to have in the back of your mind to be able to have those sentence stems ready to go. Mm -hmm. If you're already nervous about other pieces right. of the conversation. Right. And I will yes and that to mm -hmm. say, um, you know, this is something I don't want to get ahead of myself for my now what, but this is something that I want to think about even just in conversations with colleagues, maybe a conversation with you that 
I need to remember my advice is not as good as I think it is. And so using these as um, kind of a boundary for myself before jumping in and telling you what Mm -hmm. I think you should do or Mm -hmm. what I would do in the situation, having those questions and kind of furthering the conversation that way. So that it really is a partnership kind of going back to what Mm -hmm. I said, Jim Knight saying, don't ask a question that you already know what you want the answer Mm -hmm. to be. And so authentically asking these kind of vague questions so that the thinking really is put onto that other person. Mm -hmm. Love it so much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Uh, yes. So I have one random slash related share, and then I'll wrap it up with two final quotes. So as I was creeping around online, I found that Michael created a great but brief YouTube series called My One Best Question. Mm. And there are about 25 videos. The longest is three minutes in length. And they consist of Michael interviewing a variety of authors, executives, coaches, and business leaders to ask them, what's your one best question? Mm. Each video asked three different people, and it was just a delightful find for me. They ran from 2014 to 2015, I think leading up to him publishing this book in 2016, but they're all housed in Michael's Box of Crayons site, which I will also definitely link in the show notes because that was a a really fun discovery. Okay. I can see myself in a YouTube rabbit hole now (laughs) watching those. All right. You mentioned some closing quotes. Let's hear those. Let's do it. First, a truly delightful book review of the coaching habit that I came across that that said this, if this were a haiku (laughs) rather than a book, it would read, tell less and ask more. Your advice is not as good as you think it is. Uh, And I love the succinctness of that and the fact that it was a haiku form. So uh, great, great find. And then uh, finally, I'll close it out with a quote from Jim Knight in his book, The Definitive Guide to Instructional Coaching. So he says, a good question can move a conversation forward and create the opportunity for others to broaden their awareness, think deeply, plan, learn, and grow. And Mm. I don't know about you, but that is certainly what I want in a good conversation, Mm -hmm. uh, much like the ones we have here. So Mm -hmm. thank you for good conversations and more importantly, good questions. Oh, Laura, this is fantastic information. And I am thrilled that you brought this to our podcast and I am going to continue to be thinking about these. Also just the idea about the importance of listening and thinking about personally reining ourselves in because I also fall in that advice trap and mm-hmm. I, I need to have some boundaries myself for mm-hmm. rushing in and giving the advice. Ooh, mm-hmm. It's so powerful. So important. So thank you. A great, great share. Hooray. Hooray. Mm-hmm. And I love that you learned about it this weekend at a coffee EDU <laughs> and got to dive deeper today. Yes. Perfect timing. Okay. So as you know, another idea we're practicing this season is to use each episode as a place to launch further thinking. We want to challenge each other to apply what we share as we consider now what? So now what, what are some next steps from here? How might you incorporate ideas from the seven essential coaching questions into your work or further your learning? 
All right. So first, remembering that my advice is probably not as good as I think it is. So kind of having that as just something that is on my mind. And then secondly, having a keep note or maybe a post-it note. I I don't know where I'm going to put it, but someplace that I see regularly just has those seven questions, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly, I think I want it like as a post-it on my laptop as I'm thinking about this. So it's always there with me. So when I find myself wanting to jump in and give advice with um, a one-on-one conversation with a colleague, or if I am out at a campus and I'm facilitating uh, a PD session before I jump in, really have those ready to go. But even more specifically, uh, I really want to lean into that question number one and start saying, what's on your mind Mm -hmm. instead of how can I help and centering myself? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to admire and acquire those ideas, Laura. They sound perfect for now what steps. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then finally, just continue sharing with instructional coaches that I'm working with uh, and then kind of just gleaning from them the best practices or those conversations to debrief the experience of what felt weird, what felt authentic, uh, what are maybe some alternates to these questions and just continue sharing that with others. I would love to add as well. Let's share this episode. We're starting to have coaching conversations with our administrators. Mm -hmm. And so, oh yeah, true. So I think this would be good for them to think about. So we'll pass this episode along to some others. Love it. Love (laughs) it. Love it. We'd also like to extend the invitation to you, dear listener, to share your ongoing story of learning as well. Take a moment to pause and think wherever you're listening from and consider what ideas have you heard today that have sparked your interest and inspired further learning about the seven essential coaching questions. You may also find us on Twitter at DigLearnRadio to continue the conversation and share your own learning that's inspiring you this week. This season, we're dedicated to sharing our learning and the things that are inspiring us. We hope that when we share, the conversation and ideas will cultivate curiosity and inspire you to explore one of the resources, reflect on a question we've asked, or continue the conversation with us online. Reflect to consider the what, so what, and now what of your thinking. Share your learning inspirations and ideas from this episode and beyond. We are, as ever, inspired to learn from Gail Allen and her work in the new pillars of modern teaching. She reminds us that when we share, we add a sentence to the story we communicate about ourselves to the world. Let's continue learning, sharing, and transforming. Let's get inspired.